chapter 12 is our text this evening. Second Kings chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 42 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Then Jehoash said to the priests, All the money of the sacred things which is brought into the house of the Lord in current money, both the money of each man's assessment and all the money which any man's heart prompts him to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priests take it for themselves, each from his acquaintance, and they shall repair the damages of the house wherever any damage may be found. But it came about that in the 23rd year of King Jehoash, the priests had not repaired the damages of the house. Then King Jehoash called for Jehoiada, the priest, for the other priests, and said, Why do you not repair the damages of the house? Now, therefore, take no more money from your acquaintances, but pay it for the damages of the house. So the priests agreed that they would take no more money from, their, uh, from the people, nor repair the damages of the house. But Jehoiada, the priest, took a chest and bored a hole in its lid and put it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priests who guarded the threshold put in all the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. When they saw that there was much money in the chest, the king's scribe and the high priest came up and tied it in bags and counted the money which was found in the house of the Lord. They gave the money which was weighed out into the hands of those who did the work, who had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters and the builders who worked on the house of the Lord, and to the masons and the stone cutters, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damages to the house of the Lord. And for all that was laid out for the house to repair it. But there was, were not made for the house of the Lord silver cups, snuffers, bowls, trumpets, any vessels of gold or vessels of silver from the money which was brought into the house of the Lord. For they gave it to those who did the work, and with it they repaired the house of the Lord. Moreover, they did not require an accounting from the men into whose hand they gave the money to pay those who did the work, for they dealt faithfully. The money from the guilt offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It was for the priests. Then Hazael, king of Aram, went up and fought against Gath and captured it, and Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. Jehoash, 
king of Judah, took all the sacred things that Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, his father, his fathers, the kings of Judah, had dedicated, and his own sacred things, and all the gold that was found among the treasuries of the house of the Lord and of the king's house, and sent them to Hazael, king of Aram. Then he went away from Jerusalem. Now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? His servants arose and made a conspiracy and struck down Joash at the house of Milo as he was going down to Silla. For Jazakar, the son of Shemaeth, and Jehazabad, the son of Shomer, his servant struck him and he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. And Amaziah, his son, became king in his place. The reading of God's holy word. Amen. Be seated. And let's pray together. Lord, our God, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God of David, God of all the kings of Israel, we call upon your name, and we look now to this record that you've given us of the kings, uh, desiring to glean from it all that your Holy Spirit has for the church, and so we pray now for the Spirit's ministry in our souls. We ask that he would work faith in us. We ask that he would give us understanding. We ask that he would illumine our hearts and minds. That the Spirit himself would lead us into the truth reflected here in the pages of Holy Scripture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Kings 11 begins tumultuously. The house of David is in crisis. It's never been more fragile. Now that Jehoram and Ahaziah are dead, Athaliah, the queen mother, launches a murderous attack to destroy what remains of the royal house of Judah in an attempt to seize power for herself. Jehovah's promise to David of an enduring house was one infant away from proving false and falling to the ground. Of course, we speak in human terms when we say such things. But the progression of the narrative in chapter 11 instills hope and ends on a positive note. The Davidic king Joash is preserved, anointed and avenged, and the covenant, the Davidic covenant, is renewed. The king is enthroned. In the summary of of verse 20, has the savor of a new beginning for Judah. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet. For they had put Athaliah to death with the sword at the king's house. Chapter 12 begins 
on a hopeful note. But things change dramatically in the course of the narrative, so that by the time we reach the end of the chapter, we are sorely disappointed. 2 Kings 12 warns us not to put our hope in human leadership, but to trust in Christ alone who never disappoints. It's a very simple message, and that's really what it boils down to. This chapter teaches us not to put our hope in human leadership, but to trust in Christ alone who's, uh, who never disappoints. We have in this tw- uh, 12th chapter uh, very simply an ambiguous start in verses 1 through 16 and a bad ending in verses 17 to 21. The first place then, we have here in chapter 12 an ambiguous start. At first, this new start in uh, the kingdom of Judah seems promising. It's been a long time since the narrator has reported that a king did what was right in the sight of the Lord, chapter 12 and verse 2. And a 42-year reign is a long reign. Uh, It's a a reign that presents the possibility of of a period of stability in the kingdom of Judah. However, there, there are two qualifications to the favorable report that we read in Uh, verses 1 through 3. In the first place, Joash's godly behavior was limited to all his days which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Verse 2. There's some interpretive debate uh, as to whether 2 Kings 12 presents a qualification, but the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles 24, verse 2, makes clear that Jehoash, they're called Joash, as in verses 19 and 20 of uh, this 12th chapter in uh, 2 Kings, uh, that he did right all the days of Jehoiada. The king's passage then emphasizes uh, that it was Jehoiada's priestly instruction all the days in which Jehoiada Jehoiada the priest instructed him that's what kept Joash on the straight and narrow that's what made the difference in the earlier part of his reign Uh, that there was something about Jehoash's faithfulness that didn't survive this period of mentoring under Jehoiada, the high priest in Judah. The second qualification, uh, which admittedly, with a few exceptions, applies to the rest of uh, the kings of Judah, is found in verse 3. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. So, something of an encouraging start. Even with these qualifications, 
when we take into account what might have happened in chapter 11, at least from a human standpoint, this routine formula of verses 2 and 3, which says that Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord, even though he didn't remove the high places and offerings were still being offered on the high places. That seems like a kingdom victory compared to what we've seen. At least there was some stability after the tumultuous reign of Athaliah. But in what follows in verses 4 to 16, we find what reads as yet another qualification to the report of Joash's reign. Once again, there's a promising beginning to the account of the temple repairs. The temple of the Lord had suffered greatly during the years of Baal worship in Judah, suffered neglect during those years when the worship of Baal had flourished in the southern kingdom. Though it wasn't entirely abandoned, verse 18 of our text says that previous kings from Jehoshaphat to Jehoram to Ahaziah, all of these had contributed to the sacred things of the house. Nevertheless, when you're, when you're a good portion of the land is worshiping Baal, the house of the Lord isn't going to get a whole lot of attention. So that's a good thing that... Uh, that Joash orders that the house of the Lord is to be repaired. And he orders the priest to, uh, to take from uh, the offerings and, and see to it that these temple repairs were uh, carried out, verses 4 and 5. We have no way of be- uh, knowing when he began those, uh, when he gave this, these initial orders for, to, uh, uh, for temple repair, but, it, but at least by the 23rd year of his reign, when he was 30 years old, uh, the priests had no repairs done, for six says. So the king summoned uh, Jehoiada, uh, the high priest, and the rest of the priests, and he asked for an explanation in verse 7, and issues a new plan that, that, that bypasses uh, the priests. The priests agree that they'll collect no more money uh, and that they will relinquish any responsibility for re- repairing the temple, verse 8. That doesn't necessarily mean that the, uh, the priests were dishonest. It means that they evidently didn't have their hearts in the, the repairs that needed to be done to the house of the Lord. And so Joash takes them out of the way. And the king's plan apparently specified that Jehoiada would take over the collection of the, of the repair funds. Uh, Jehoiada installs a, a, a chest beside the altar permitting the the giver to divide uh, his offering uh, for the temple from the offering to the priests, ensuring that that the offering for the temple was put where it couldn't be otherwise used, uh, applied elsewhere than uh, what the giver intended it for use. Whatever the chest began to fill, the king's scribe, the, the high priest supervised the handling of the funds, bagging it up, counting it, verse 10. And from there, it went to the construction supervisors who passed it on to the carpenters, the masons, the stone cutters, 
for the purchase of uh, materials, stone, wood, verses 11 and 12. None of these funds went to make uh, temple utensils, we're told. Verses 13 and 14 was all for the external repair of the temple. No complicating accounting system was necessary, verse 15 says. Uh, rather, 16, uh, 15, uh, because the, the supervisors were uh, completely honest. And, verse 16 says, the priest still got paid. So everything was, uh, was moving along. Uh, now, once the Joash had, had, uh, had put the new plan in place and gotten the priest the, uh, whose, whose hearts were not in it, were, were out of the way. Uh, so on the one hand, Joash gets credit for initiating the repairs to uh, the restoration of the Lord's house. It's a, it's a tribute to the king's piety. But on the other hand, waiting until he had been on the throne 23 years, when he was 30 years old, to begin to think about the temple, or taking uh, either that or taking an incredibly long time to realize that the, the house, uh, that the repairs that he had ordered uh, were not being carried out. That's not a credit to this newly anointed king. It speaks of no great zeal for the Lord, nor of great wisdom. So Joash's achievements are somewhat mediocre. That's the best that we can say for them. And after an ambiguous start, things suddenly take a turn for the worse in the kingdom of Judah. The, the account of the promising boy king comes to a bad ending in verses 17 to 21. With a simple then in verse 17. Everything falls apart. After 13 verses describing the refurbishing of the, of the temple, two verses report the emptying of the house of the Lord. Hazael, king of Aram, who had attacked Israel at the end of Jehu's reign, now turns his attention to Judah. And the future of David's throne is again in doubt. Joash fails to provide military leadership in Judah, instead attempting to buy off Hazael. He plunders the temple of its treasures and treasuries, the sacred things that had taken four generations of kings to build up. Uh, verse 18, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, uh, Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that uh, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, his fathers, uh, the kings of Judah had dedicated and his own sacred things and all the gold that was found among the treasuries of the house of the Lord, the king's house. And he turns them over 
to Hazael so that Hazael would go away. 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles differ significantly in the way they treat the last years of Joash's reign. 2 Chronicles 24 tells of Joash's major policy shift after Jehoiada's death. Judah abandoned the house of the Lord, took up fertility worship and idols. And Joash had Jehoiada's son executed for prophesying against him. Kings doesn't relate any of that. Not that the writer of Kings thinks uh, thinks it all is well in Joash's reign. He reports the king's assassination, verses 20 and 21. He understood that there was discontentment with Joash's rule, and that's what led to Joash's demise, his assassination. Chronicles emphasizes Joash's wickedness. Kings highlights the crushing disappointment of the king who had promised much and had delivered so little. So it looks, again from a human standpoint, as if God's promise has been frustrated by human failure. Joash's account began on such a high note. The preservation of the Davidic line, when it looked like it was about to to go extinct, and the enthronement of a new Davidic king, chapter 11, verses 17 to 21. This commendation to to Joash in uh, chapter 12 uh, in uh, verse 2 Joash did right in the sight of the Lord at least in his early reign and although carried out by fits and starts uh, this account in chapter 12 also featured the renovation of the temple, not a small thing. The Lord's house had been repaired, and now it ends in disappointment. Chapter 12, verses 17 to 18, and the involuntary death of King Joash. Joash's reign is a yellow flashing light of warning. To every Christian. You may be orthodox in your profession of faith, but unless you're kept by God's power, what will prevent you from falling away? How dependent we are on God's sustaining grace. The Christian life begins with saving grace and continues to the end only by persevering grace. Apart from it, 
We are just a hair's breadth away from eternal destruction. Furthermore, 2 Kings 12 warns us that there's a built-in defect in all human leadership. Every leader who is human, which means all leaders, have this defect. And that means all leaders in the church have this defect. Recognizing this will save you from anger towards and resentment of the leadership in the church. Josh's failure is designed to lift our eyes to the descendant of David, David's greater son, Jesus Christ, who never disappoints. It's here, as we continue our journey through 2 Kings, that we need to have a firm grasp on the big picture as the line of David again, seems to be in mortal danger. Joash was not that promised son of David who would usher in a kingdom that would never end. Nor were any of the rest of the Davidic kings who succeeded David on the throne. But that king has come And his kingdom endures forever. For neither the rage of his enemies, represented by Athaliah and the like in chapter 11, nor the disappointing failure of ordained leaders such as Joash could prevent this from happening. Praise be. To God and to his greater son, David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, whose kingdom has no end. Amen. Amen. Oh God, we look to you and praise your holy name. We give thanks to you, O oh God, for our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text that we have contemplated tonight is is merely one in hundreds where you have shown yourself to be faithful to the promises of the covenant, faithful to the Davidic covenant during the period of the judges, during the period of the kings, all the way down to the birth of the boy king in Bethlehem. And we praise your name, O our God, for our Savior Jesus Christ and for the enduring kingdom you have given to him, a kingdom that shall have no end and with whom we shall reign forever and ever as a kingdom of priests with our God. We praise you, O God. We thank you 
We pray that you would grant us perspective. We pray, O God, that we might not ever put our trust in the arm of the flesh, our ability to please you, our ability to walk with you faithfully, but that we would ever recognize our continual dependence upon grace and that you would pour out grace upon us and our children after us and their children after them, O Lord, and raise up an army of godly descendants who would put their hand to the building of your kingdom, to the building of the church of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O Lord, for human leaders, especially in the church. We pray for officers in the church who badly need wisdom, who make mistakes, uh, who, uh, who fail uh, in their responsibilities to teach and shepherd the church. And we pray, O oh God, that having granted the gift of office to the church from on high, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, you might endow your officers in the church with great wisdom to carry out their function. We ask, O God, more than anything, that you would grant us eyes to see what the Spirit is teaching us here concerning David's greater son. And to put all of our hope and all of our trust in the anchor of our souls, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to put our trust in human leadership, but to put our trust in Christ, in Christ alone, in whose name we pray. Amen.